0: We're not alone in this struggle of these mental monsters. I do know what stigma does, and I do know that people are afraid to talk because of it. So I did know that that message was probably hard to send. And that in itself gave me some strength. No one's talking about this stuff. People are afraid to talk about mental health, mental illness. Talking about it is important. And if it takes the guy paddling a crazy amount of kilometers on a paddleboard to do it, I'll keep doing it.
1: Welcome to Salish Wolf, a podcast bringing you inspirational stories of extraordinary endeavors. I am your host, Todd Howard. Just south of my Vancouver Island home is a tiny archipelago on which for nearly a decade lived a most astonishing animal, a lone wolf. Takea, as he would be named, survived and thrived in an environment where likely no wolf had ever set foot. In the process, he captured the hearts of a community and showed us even the most unlikely is possible. His story is not dissimilar to those of the individuals interviewed on this podcast. At some point, they each had to turn to their inner lone wolf. From there, they were able to lead and inspire. My intention is to share their journeys to help you discover your own inner greatness and peace. This podcast is brought to you by Anchor Point Expeditions, where I provide life-changing personal leadership retreats for men, coaching, and other valuable personal growth resources. Visit AnchorPointexpeditions.com to see where your journey could take you. This interview with mental health champion Chad Ginter begins with a light-hearted discussion of stand-up paddleboarding on rivers and rapids and includes his takeaways for many years as a Whitewater guide. And then As if entering Class 5 Rapids, the intensity changes. Being most at home on the water, Chad is not afraid to go deep, and in this episode we descended to the abyss of mental illness. Paddling has been an integral part of Chad's life and personal healing, and to help support loved ones struggling with mental health, he started using his paddleboard as a springboard to raise awareness. But Chad is not just standing up for those close to him. He incessantly fights for the well-being of anyone facing mental health challenges. Through his initiatives known as Keep Calm, Paddle On, and Project All In, and in his role as a firefighter, Chad has dedicated his life to helping others both in the physical and mental-emotional realms. He is literally saving and improving the lives of people throughout Canada, and the impact of Project All In has cascaded around the globe. I know and have interviewed many amazing and driven individuals, and Chad has quickly risen to the upper ranks of that list. His dedication to his selfless path of service to others is awe-inspiring, and his unabashed vulnerability touched me in a way that very few interactions have. Even with his enormous physical stature, I have found that it is his heart that is the ultimate titan. With Chad standing up against the stigmatization of mental illness, dismantled barriers are being left in his wake. Be prepared to fall in love with this guy and to feel the embrace of his compassion. Please enjoy this episode Salish Wolf with Chad Ginter. Chad welcome to Salish Wolf. Hey thanks for having me. It's a pleasure having you here. I want to acknowledge Duff Gibson, one of my most recent guests who suggested I reach out and connect with you. I had a great interview with Duff. He spoke very highly of you so I'm sure we're going to have a great interview today.
0: Awesome. Uh, yeah, what a fellow that guy is. I'm going to have to call him and bug him after this for sure.
1: <laughs> yeah, he's pretty amazing. Now, in, I recognize the hat that you're wearing. That's uh, a Norm Han signature hat. Do you know yeah. Norm?
0: Yeah, I do know Norm quite well. Um, uh, it, it's hard to not be in the stand-up paddling world and and not know that guy. But, um, yeah, Norm and I worked together on a, on a river course that we do uh every year and and uh teach folks how to get down the river safely and stand up paddle boards and and through that time and you know being on the coast and surfing and stuff like that I've got to know him quite well and and uh actually it's it's more his son Kiel that uh I'm, I'm probably more fond of sorry Norm no, uh, no <laughs> feelings there but uh <laughs> usually it's uh hey can I go skate with Kiel today uh kind of hang out <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, that's understandable. Kiel's pretty awesome. We were actually hanging out with him last week. Oh, awesome. Doing some surfing and skating. Uh Norm's my brother-in-law, so Okay. That that makes Kiel my nephew, so Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is hard to be in the the paddleboarding world, at least in this part of the globe and not know Norm. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned some river courses is that flatwater river or more of a whitewater river?
0: well we start with the introduction to to the river which generally is on class one type rivers classification system of one through six and uh we try to increment incrementally get our our clients up to whatever comfort level they want to be at you know and and um sometimes class two can feel like enough on a paddleboard sometimes class three is just super wild and fun and um, so we try and, you know, give them the safety skills and the paddling skills to, to be comfortable in that environment, how to look out for each other, you know, what to do and, you know, self-rescue aspects. And, and I think in stand up paddling, it's, it's, it's such a, it's such a great sport for people to get introduced to, cause it's, it's, it's pretty easy to get into and you just stand on board, have an amazing day on the lake, but then people very quickly want more. And sometimes that more, um, is rivers and rivers can be, can be dangerous for sure. If we don't, don't respect them and don't know them, um, what's going on in them. So, um, Norm and I over our chats over the years of, and and my love for rivers and his love for, for paddling, we, it really made sense for us to team up and, and, you know, combine efforts to make sure that the people that we're hanging out with the people that are interested in this stuff are are educated in being on the river because it's so much fun. And the river is is such a great way to connect with our land and, and to connect with people. So and, and the ability to do that safely just makes it an amazing experience. So, so yeah.
1: I got to get out with you guys. I have not actually paddled in any sort of rapids on a river, and it looks like so much fun. Can you walk me through how that actually happens or how it works? Are people wearing... Body armor of sorts. Are the paddles different, so they're more durable? I know the boards are inflatable, but can you just take us through it a bit?
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, you'll definitely see some people with some some hockey shin pads on and <laughs> elbow pads, and and it's not it's not unwarranted. It's actually not a bad idea. I mean, a lot of our our rivers out uh, where I live in the, in the Rocky Mountains in Camor, Alberta, um, very rocky rivers, right? So we have very rock laden shoreline uh, very big boulders in our rivers so and shallow as well so it's not uncommon for you to fall and and be close to that so you'll see some protection out there and you know we definitely want to wear helmets we definitely want to have our pfds on Um, dry suits are a must especially in uh (laughs) in in the mountains where the water is cold um i think really my only paddling experience in Canada on a river where I didn't need a dry suit was the Ottawa river. Like what an amazing, what an amazing river. But, uh, here in the middle of summer, you definitely want a dry suit on. And that's, that's just that Gore-Tex often Gore-Tex layer that, uh, keeps you a little bit warmer. So, you know, good footwear, um, mostly inflatable, largely inflatable, uh, boards, but there are some like Boardworks was, uh, doing some really good, um, hard shell boards for the river. Very specific. Really? Yeah. And, uh, you know, they, they'd spin you in circles on a lake just cause they're, you know, they're quite rockered and they're meant to turn very quickly. And so very river specific, but, uh, you know, a little bit of a mix of hard and, and inflatable inflatable seem to be the, the real good tool for it as they is they're, they're quite durable, easy to transport and all that. But, um, yeah, mostly, You'll need a lot of rocker on these types of boards. So a lot of nose rocker, a lot of a lot of tail rocker, and that's what's gonna allow you to, to be able to move and to eddy in and out of of the river and and yeah, it's it's, a, it's so fun.
1: Yeah. So we break paddles just surfing mm-hmm. without hitting anything. How do you keep from breaking paddles on a river where you're probably hitting rocks?
0: Well, I think carbon is still the way to go carbon is still the way to go and at first i was really hesitant about using carbon blades specifically in the river but it is a quite durable material so it is is very good for that but um you know early on we we're using big heavy um plastic and aluminum and and uh, geez they felt like they were 10 15 20 pound paddles and <laughs> you know kind of like the old school raft paddles where you didn't care if you beat them up or kind of anything like that. But now, um, you know, you could find a, a carbon shaft and a plastic blade, which you didn't care if you beat up. Um, but carbon still seems to be, I use a couple different kinds and they're still holding up quite well. The blades are holding up quite well, just maybe a little bit more aware of not jamming them into the rocks as much.
1: Mm. Yeah. How did you get into river paddling?
0: Um, in 2006, I took a course um, with a spree rafting in Ottawa. And that was my introduction to all the Ottawa Valley. And to backtrack a little bit, um, I was an iron worker at the time. And, you know, looking back, it was an amazing experience. But at the time, I really felt like I was not on the path that I was meant to be on. It was really just a... Um, a good spot to make some money and to be at the time. And we traveled through the U S we built some really amazing projects. Like it was actually a very fun job, lots of travel, which I liked, but at some point after about two years of doing it, I, I was tired of it. And I just felt like there literally was no purpose. I mean, we had the purpose of building the buildings, but, um, not what I felt I was really meant to do. So I got on the computer one night at the hotel and I just was cruising around and seeing what I could find. And um, I had gone to school to be a teacher, elementary school teacher. So um, after leaving that and trying to make some more money, I've, I felt like I should maybe head back in that direction. And what it, what my, where my thought process went was when I was in education and taking phys ed courses, uh, my, one of my professors, they took us to Jasper and we went whitewater rafting. We, we learned about, you know, the land and nature and how things were formed. You know, we did the the Bird Lake Trail, which is an amazing, um, a really amazing hike that I ended up, multi-day hike that I ended up going back three consecutive years at that same time to do. It really impacted me, but not really at the time. Like, it, it, I didn't really know it, I suppose, And so I just started thinking like, what makes, what makes me happy? Like if I woke up tomorrow and I really had to, to be doing something that I wanted to be doing, what is that thing? And, and I went back to that time and I started Googling, you know, whitewater rafting, kayaking, all that sort of stuff. And, and this course came up and it was, it was 90 days, three months of, of whitewater, intensive leadership development that was the name of the course it was the wild program whitewater intensive leadership development and it seemed to really fit the bill for me i i was going to learn something um i i do like being in that learning environment and it was going to be learning something that seemed very fun and something that i wanted to get good at and had relatively zero experience besides that rafting trip that we did in in college and uh that that's really what got me into it and we learned how to kayak we learned how to canoe we learned how to raft we learned how to riverboard and and guide all of those aspects as well we also got swift water rescue training we got wilderness um, first responder training and we traveled all throughout Canada and Mexico and the U.S. to learn all these things so we spent a month in Canada in the Ottawa Valley and in Quebec we spent a month in the U.S. in two big school buses and three or four um passenger vans loaded with canoes and kayaks and rafts and 20 people and a couple dogs and like (laughs) it was really an epic vacation that just it really did looking back it really did mold and shape where I am today and and I still talk to a few people from that that are really close to me and um I remember sitting in a debrief for a scenario that we did for uh, swiftwater for our swiftwater training, and I remember sitting there with the three guides uh, at the table, and you know, just the debrief of of what you do in something like this is, you know, how did things go? How did things work for you? Um, what went wrong? What went right? What can you work on? Um, you know, comments, questions, concerns, that kind of thing. And I just remember sitting there, and I. I, th- I think I teared up, but I think I I held it in so that they didn't know. But I was like, I don't know how, but this is what I'm going to do. I somehow have to do, to do this. And um, they say sometimes you're not, you don't know when you're in a moment. And for me, I really, I really knew that at that point. And it took me a little while to, to get where I am today with all of that. But that was definitely a shaping experience and that was my you know crash course introduction into into learning how to paddle and enjoy the rivers
1: Mm, the story gave me chills thank you for that it reminds me of chatting with one of my previous guests bruce kirkby do you know bruce
0: uh, you know, just through just through others and through social okay. media, and we've we've chatted that way. I've actually got his book on my table here that I can't wait to dive into.
1: Oh, it's a great book. He's also a, a wonderful paddle paddler and explorer. And he was talking about I think he was talking about the Ottawa River as well, but how he was at a point in his life where he had the corporate job and you know, had all the the things that seemed to make up a successful life but he just realized that he would rather be paddling down the river, earning no money for the rest of his life, than sitting in corporate office doing something that he didn't enjoy doing. Which, of course, that's something that I think when people hear, they think, yeah, I want to pursue my passion. I want to do what feels like my destiny to do. And yet so very few people do it. What do you think it was for you, Chad, that gave you the the confidence or just the drive to know that as you're sitting in that meeting, I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to make it something that's a major part of my life moving forward.
0: First of all, I couldn't agree with Bruce Moore, like to, to be able to sit in a boat and to realize that n- no amount of money could really make this feeling and this experience better. It's, that's, that's a, that's a space you have to share with, with people. And it's, uh, it's a really amazing space. So I couldn't agree with that sentiment more. Um, I think it's really easy to stay in that quote unquote, nine to five and it's scary to step outside comfort zones. And I think that's what stops a lot of people from, from chasing those things. And, um, maybe for me, it was a little bit frustration part frustration of not feeling like I was like my I just felt like I had more to give I had more to do I had I had more to experience and I just couldn't be it so definitely part frustration and I think growing up in the prairies I grew up in Saskatoon um, it's a beautiful city I have nothing against it. It's very, <laughs> it's very flat. There's amazing people there. Uh, my family is still there. It, it is a beautiful place, but it has got no mountains. It's got no white water. Uh, you go further north from the province, you'll find some white water. But um, as a, you know, 16, 17 year old, just about finishing high school, I was like, Man, like the, I see, you know, I had posters of skiing and snowboarding on the wall and surf I remember picking up my first surf magazine and I was, I just knew that there was more out there and truly didn't know how a prairie kid could experience that stuff. But I think having that job that I said, I didn't really feel fulfilled me. It did give me the means to be able to do this training, which then opened up the door for this. And um, it, it was, it was a scary endeavor because starting off as a raft guide, you don't make a lot of money. You do it simply for the love. And I was 20, I think it was about 25 or 26 when I had my first year of, of guiding. And so at that point, maybe you should be on a different career path and making a little bit more money. And, and I wasn't. And I was living in a, I was living in a trailer that I couldn't stand up in, you know, with my two dogs, I could sit on my bed and make my food. (laughs) Um, Like it was, it was quaint is what I'm saying. And, uh, but I loved it. I, I really did love it. And that, that feeling of being able to, to guide people down the river, show them an experience that they may not otherwise ever have again in their life to show them the land to be a ambassador or a, um, a a guide really is, is such a good term for it because we're just, we're going to take you down the river. I'm going to tell you some jokes and I'm going to tell you why this mountain is named what it's named. And I'm going to tell you where this river flows and how long it is. And, and give you some interpretation of the land and 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 what it means to me so and every different boat is unique with its own guide and i think that's really neat and interesting too you could have someone from a different country guiding that boat and and their jokes are going to be different and their interpretation of the land is going to be different and what it means to them and it's just it's just a really special sp- space to hold with those those people that those one-hour friendships almost
1: what shifted for you when you made that choice to switch from being an iron worker to being a paddler and being a guide? I spent some time in going to church as a kid with my
0: parents. My, my mom and dad are religious, and, and I always remembered it being a struggle to go. <clears throat> you know, I didn't like it. I, I didn't enjoy it. And maybe it's because I was forced. You know, kids being forced to do something, it doesn't matter what it is. Well, maybe it does matter. If you were forced to go in a jumpy castle, you'd probably have a good time. (laughs) But it wasn't something that resonated with me. And maybe I was too young to understand. But when I got to the mountains and when I experienced rivers in different countries, It's some, something definitely changed there. There's definitely a, an awareness, um, to what the land meant before me, there was an awareness of what I needed to do to be safe, to get down that river. Um, there was an awareness to, to keep others safe and to mix all those things together was was I think a really fulfilling part. It was like this is this makes sense. Like this just all makes sense. I can enjoy nature. I can I can get paid. I can I, I get paid to make jokes and laugh and tell stories in a boat. Like that doesn't get to me at that point it didn't really get any better. So I guess what I'm talking about is a little bit of spirituality that I found in in nature in the mountains. There's a security there. I knew what the river was going to do, even though it can be turbulent and seemingly unpredictable to some people. And that's kind of the allure is people think, well, this big wave is going to knock us over. But I know that if I just angle the boat this way and take a little uh, kick out with my paddle, that we'll get through it just fine. And uh, I don't know, things slow down. I started to appreciate things more. I think there was a level of gratitude that I never had.
1: You mentioned earlier, and I'll paraphrase, but something along the lines of finding your path, finding your calling. Do you feel that you've done that? At least at this stage in your life? I think... When we start out, we
0: think we have an idea of what that path might be. And I remember really early on, thinking, I'm going to be a firefighter. That's, that's what I'm going to do. That's, I can, I can see myself, that job fits me. I like it. I'm now a firefighter. I have been for, I think going on seven or eight years. And I love it, don't get me wrong. It is an amazing job that is, that's given me so much and allowed me to give so much to my community, but it still doesn't feel like the path. And for me, that that path, once I found the water, just fit more. And I guess it's not a traditional career like we all think about how careers will manifest for us, you know, um, however that looks for certain people. But the majority, I think, of, of how it looks for people is, you know, a steady job, good income, ability to have a house, so on and so forth. And for me, that those things were important. But for me, what I got out of something that didn't pay me a lot of money was just so much more. So then I had to start to think of how I can spin that to, to make it make it my life i took pauses from it you know i i stopped paddling as a as a job or stopped guiding as a job and then i would do something else to make more money and uh you know at one point at one point in my rafting career i had a you know a big fancy truck that i needed for my ironwork job and i quit that obviously and didn't have the money to pay for that big fancy truck anymore and now i'm a river guide in a trailer that I can't stand up in and I couldn't make payments and I was quickly going into debt, but that level of happiness, that internal happiness I felt to just do that job, um, blindingly felt okay to have, it didn't feel okay, but it like, it, it almost blinded me to the point where it's like, okay, I know this stuff is going on in the background, but uh, I don't care. I'm having too much fun maybe it was yeah. short of that. And, uh, and at one point my truck got repossessed and that was a bit of a wake up call, you know? Then I bought, I buckled down. I went back to what I knew as, as iron worker. And, and I did that. I bought that same truck back out of mm-hmm. the pound. I made sure that like, this was, this was a big mess up for me. And I, and I think it was a, you know we again we, we we think we're on the path that we're supposed to be and i i think i'm doing what i'm supposed to be doing i feel really at home and alive in the mountains and on the river and then this happens it's like well this can't be your path you know you have those thoughts or those that that negative feeling with it and you're like maybe i'm not doing the right thing and whether we feel like the path is is correct I think we do there is a balance there that we need to strike and I made sure that I went back to work and I bought that exact same truck back out of the pound and I sold that thing as quick as I could (laughs) (laughs) that was my way of making it right and uh you know I I did that for the winter and I went back to rafting the next summer you know I like I had to make this work and it, it's not always easy. And, and maybe that's why the path is so important and so special to us is, is because if it was easy, then we'd just be on it and it probably wouldn't mean as much, to be perfectly honest.
1: Mm-hmm. You mentioned earlier spirituality. What is your concept of spirituality and how do you fortify your connection to it? I think being outside. I think being
0: connected, for me personally, being connected to the water. Water will heal. And I've seen it heal. It's healed me. And being being on the water is, I think more people need to experience it, to be honest. But maybe I shouldn't say that so loudly, because then all my lakes and rivers will get crowded. But... (laughs) You know, it, uh, it really is true. There is something that is hard to explain when you're on the water. It does something it gives and it takes it's, it's got so, so many similarities to life that, uh, it's, it's undoubtedly the place for me to find that, to find that meditation you know, and it's not sitting on my board and taking deep breaths. It's, it's just making some miles and, and feeling really grateful for, for what I have and, and being healthy.
1: Mm-hmm. And with that healing aspect that you speak of, you now use the water as a tool to help others to heal. Can you talk a bit about that?
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, in, in 2012, I believe it was, I I did a, a solo paddle on the South Saskatchewan River, and I picked that river because um, it ends up in my hometown, Saskatoon, and uh, ironically enough, the Bow River, which flows through Canmore, flows you know through Cochrane and Calgary, and Medicine Hat, the Old Man River, matches up with it, and then it keeps on going. It ends up flowing into the Lake Diefenbaker, a great big lake. It's got over 800 kilometers of shoreline. It's a very big lake, has ocean-like conditions. And I and I put myself halfway down that lake, paddled that lake, walked across the dam, and then paddled the river, which is now the South Saskatchewan River, into Saskatoon to raise my uh, raise awareness for. For mental health and the reason I did that was because my brother is was diagnosed with um, bipolar disorder and I think I was just honestly frustrated that I couldn't help out more you know I wasn't living in the same place so I couldn't physically be there as much as I Felt like I could, could and help out. I didn't have the monetary means, and not always is that this the game changer. I mean, sometimes it helps people, but often short lived. and And I, uh, I walked into my buddy's shop in Saskatoon, um, called Escape Sports, and they they got into selling these these paddle boards that no one had ever seen before. And, uh, I was actually looking for a raft that day. Cause I was like, you know, I need to get back to the water. I need to, I need that connection again. And that was one of those breaks that I spoke of that I was taken from, you know, from being on the water every day. And he's yeah. like, my buddy, Marcus is like, well, we got these paddle boards. <laughs> I it's not what I came in for. I don't even know what that thing is. He's <laughs> like, he's like, hear me out. And, and, uh, He's a good friend, so trust trust his judgment and opinion. But he's also a salesman, sneaky guy. But uh, he got me that day, and I bought this paddle board. And I was like, "Well, it's going to connect me to the water." I'm like, "I paddled before. I've paddled other crafts. It shouldn't be too difficult." And later that day, I got a I got a phone call from from a family member saying that you know they were just had some hard times hit on them and I, you know, I went to a coffee shop and I just sat there and I was like, man, I just feel guilty for spending 13, $1,400 on this paddleboard. Like I could have, I should just take it back and I should just help them out. And, and I just sat there in the sun on an Avenue that I grew up close to and frequented when I was a kid and started thinking about why I, why that connection to water and, and, why I walked into the store that day. I do feel that there's connectivity with with what we do. Just have to be aware of it. So I ordered another coffee and just thought a bit harder. Maybe I can make this thing do something. Maybe... <laughs> Maybe I'll just paddle a ridiculous amount of kilometers and someone will take notice. So that's kind of where the concept came from is family that sh- struggles and then you can't help. And I know I know that I know a lot of people face that and just don't know what to do. And that can be so frustrating so you're just trying to be resourceful in those times and I thought maybe since I don't have the money to help out as much as I could and I know that that money will disappear at some point and then what what if I just what if I just paddle really really far and, and use social media as a platform to talk about mental health talk, talk about why it's so hard to open up about it and literally use that that board as a as a platform for connection or a tool to help create the conversation around that and since since that trip which definitely changed that trip was just as much for me I I believe as it was to to garner attention about mental health and mental illness and and the stigma attached to it. But ever since that trip, you know, except for except for last year, because of what's going on in our world, every single year in August, I've taken a group of people down the that exact same stretch of river because it was too good not to share. Like I <laughs> I did that as a solo mission because I was like, no one is going to want to join me with this. And actually I don't want to be responsible for anybody for, for that period of time. I just want to put my head down and I want to find that's where I do my best thinking. But then at the end of it, I was like, man, that's almost a bit of a selfish outlook in some regards because what a beautiful, I never knew Saskatoon or its surrounding areas were that beautiful. When you see a, a place from the water perspective it can completely change your change your uh change your look at things and that's what that trip did and that's what it does for people it's hard not to get a little choked up on that stuff for sure (laughs) hopefully that's uh hopefully it was (laughs) clear enough that we
1: could (laughs) live that's from the heart man and there's There's nothing more beautiful and and healing than that. Was mental illness on your radar as an issue before your brother's diagnosis and your family struggles?
0: Well, yes and no. He was diagnosed. He had a traumatic brain injury at, at, I think it was 15 years of age. He fell on his bike and hit his head and... And that's kind of what spurred this, this, this path for him that he didn't ask for. So it was, it was in the background. And I think as a kid, I'm three years older than my brother. I think as a kid, I, I just, I didn't have enough knowledge of what was going on with him. I didn't I wasn't aware of how much strain it was putting on my parents and how much they were trying to help them and how frustrating that relationship can be with, with a, with a son that is dealing with something like that. I didn't really know. And then as I got older and was, I was on the road a lot and and basically I left at 17 from Saskatoon and, and continued to go to school and work and, and, eventually found the mountains and I wasn't I wasn't home a lot after that and I wasn't really seeing what was going on and I wasn't switched on to it and I honestly can't remember if it was a single event that because there's many events that are prominent in his life I feel like I could write a book just about his struggles and how he's overcome but I don't think it was a prominent thing it just uh was a collection of it all which really is is what it takes isn't it it's it's I kind of talk about you know socks in the sock drawer we keep filling up this drawer full of socks eventually we can't close it it's kind of like these problems or or these things that we we might be struggling with mentally and eventually if we don't deal with these what what's coming like we just can't close that drawer Mind can't process things and and then it just comes to a head, and I think that's what it was for me, and I I just was frustrated, honestly. I was like, how how can I be – how can I serve, serve them a bit better
1: than I am now? I want to talk a bit about those trips that you're now taking annually with groups mm-hmm. of people, but before we head to that, can you talk – about the personal experience and impact. You mentioned the word healing that that first trip had on you.
0: I always knew that the water made me feel better. That's probably what directed me there, directed my thought process to that. I felt like I was doing it for a purpose. I felt like that trip its purpose was, no one's talking about this stuff. No, no, Like, people are afraid to talk about mental health, mental illness, to feel like it's feelings. I shouldn't be feeling like this, so I shouldn't bring it up because people are just going to tell me to, you know, just don't feel that way, just be happy. We know that that's not true. Like, if our brain is actually maybe not wired the way it should be. Maybe we've had an incident in our life where we've had an injury. Maybe we've seen some things that have created this injury. We've dealt with some things. So I wanted that to, I felt like that was the purpose, was to, was to, to get this out there. And it's not like people aren't doing anything about mental health. That's not true. And I definitely am not a pioneer in this. But I think in my small bubble, <laughs> it, it, it wasn't talked about like it should be. So that was the purpose. And then the effect was spending countless hours, like eight, nine, ten hours a day paddling through chop, through wind, notoriously windy on that stretch of river. Um, solitude, cadence, rhythm, it puts you in a meditative state and I think what the the water does naturally is put us outside our comfort zone. It can be nasty and we can paddle through it with proper technique, skill, the right equipment and I think that this trip has always been a massive metaphor for life. If you can surround yourself with the right people, if you can have the right support tools, you know, if you can, if you can be open about being in that uncomfortable space, then there's some growth there. And I think, I think that's what happened for me was, you know, not setting out to, on that trip to, to make myself feel better, but it was, it, it was a result, absolutely a result of that. And I gotta be honest, I'm a sucker for sunsets now and, and being out on the water for eight, nine hours a day, and then you're paddling. One of the focuses is on a long expedition is to, to chew off as many miles as you can in a day. That's off until, until the sun goes down. And, uh, it seems to be, for me, a really great way to end a day and, and to really be thankful for, for what I, for what I just accomplished. And then you, you know, you kind of write in your journal that day of, you know, 70 kilometers, 30, 30 K sidewind, um, two foot waves, whatever the, whatever the details are. And you're like, yeah, I. I can I can probably I can probably chew through life a little better than I am right now, and I think there was a lot of there's just a lot of similarities in in that trip for me that really have stuck with me till to the day and will stick with me. But I think that's why there was such a such a need for me to show that into to introduce people to to what that can do for them.
1: Hmm. We're so much more resilient than. We often give ourselves credit for we can endure so much. And it's in those opportunities where sometimes the most growth happens in that first trip, how did that trip help raise awareness for mental illness? What, how did you set it up? So it was advocating for more awareness. I think.
0: Is probably going to date me a little bit, but I mean, social media was pretty new at the time. Like Instagram was just coming around. Facebook had been, you know, going for a few years at this point—five, six, seven years at this point—and it was it was not a platform that I was aware of to to do anything more than show pictures of kids and dogs and and things like that. And it seemed like a good way to connect with a lot of people at one time, and. I wasn't really into making videos about myself and putting them on YouTube. So pictures and and little write-ups seemed to be a really good way for me to do that. So I would post every day as, as much as I had service. Sometimes I couldn't and would have to wait to, till I had better service. And I would just talk about what I'd gone through in that, in that day and, and, and why I was paddling and, you know, hoping that the hashtags are connecting with some people and, And, uh, I also started taping names of people on my paddle, people that I would be personally paddling for and people that, you know, I was standing up for literally. And, uh, and that was, you know, a way to, to kind of have them with me. And, and for me to find some, you know, some inner strength to look down at the, the paddle and see all the white tape with the with the people's names sharpied on there and and actually what it does is make you realize that we we're, we're not alone in this struggle of these mental monsters whatever they might be for for people and uh, here I was thinking specifically narrow-mindedly on my family and and how this was affecting them but what that trip really taught me was was there's a lot of people that struggle with this and through that social media I had people send me messages like that I knew for years and they would say I struggle with it or my husband struggles with it or my wife struggles with it or my cousin or it it was really quite shocking and that might have been the only time that person has spoke up about it It was in that small, you know, two sentence message that they sent me on Instagram. I, I don't know that, but I do know what stigma does. And I do know that people are afraid to talk because of it. So I did know that that message was probably hard to send. And that in itself gave, gave me some strength and that, also made me realize that talking about it is important. And if it takes, if it takes a guy paddling a crazy amount of kilometers on a paddleboard to do it, I'll keep doing it every year.
1: How is the annual pilgrimage now carrying on with that mission?
0: Well, last year, I think we were at year nine.
1: And then last year we
0: had to take a break. Um, I think for one for me, uh, doing it all those years, it, it started to become more of logistics and planning for me than for me to actually be immersed in it. I was worried about the safety of the people that are ultimately under my guidance. And that is a big responsibility. And it was starting for me to take away what that trip meant. It was. It still had a very strong effect on the paddlers that were there. but I can't be a very good leader if I, if I'm not invested in it the same way that I was years prior. So I think last year was a really good step back and a really good break from it. And this year, if COVID gets in the way again, I'll just do it by myself and I'll be perfectly spaced (laughs) in the middle of the river but ever since that first trip um, I've started inviting more and more people on this trip to you know where it was my friend from the paddleboard shop and my very good friend Yaz um, who lives in the Cayman Islands he came all the way down to, um, to Canada to do this trip with me and he has since taken you know what we call Keep Calm Paddle On or KCPO he's since taken that back to the Caymans and and has run with it full speed, and has really made it something down there, um, helping out the foster kids, and the SP, uh, um, SPCA, um, and kids with special needs. Uh, it, it's amazing to see what, how that has affected him, and what he's wanted to do with it. So it was the three of us that next year, and then the next year it was, you know, I think five or six, and then the next year it was nine, and then it was 15. And at one point I had 30 people do the full three days with uh, with me. It's about 150 kilometers, and we pack all of our gear. Any any craft, any non-motorized craft is welcome, but it's predominantly stand-up boards. And it's it's really, of course, I I like that because that's where I find that's where I find it. My piece is on a stand-up paddleboard now, and. And we get all aspects of skills. We get the very skilled and we get the people that have that zero experience. And I have to applaud their trust in me to take them down because I'm not sure if I had zero experience in something like that, that I would just jump in it like they did. But that's, it shows you how important this topic is. And it shows you what a support system will do. So those people with zero experience paddling about to embark on 150 kilometers down a river, they've never been on, on a board. They've never, they've just saw an hour before they got on it. And all of a sudden the wind kicks up and they can't keep it straight. And Here are a couple more of the experienced people. Hey, can I take your bag? Can I take your bag? That will help, you know, less weight to paddle. And the next thing you know, their board starts to straighten out a little bit of coaching. Hey, just dig that paddle in this way, or make sure your grip is split a little further apart. And it, it's at the end of the end of the day, into the next day, people are on the verge of crying, blisters, you know, like sore feet from standing, sunburnt feet when it gets nice because um, you can't move, you can't hide um to the third day where they're singing and it's you know they're comfortable on the water they forget about what happened 2 days ago till so they look at their hands and see the tape and the blisters but um <laughs> it really is something to see people make that transition whether they're standing up for someone else or themselves And I'm not sure people grab the similarities like I do because I kind of have that outside perspective as I see it happening and And I'm sure they do and and Maybe some people don't have the platform to talk about it, but I guess that's where I'm lucky and I, I I have that option. But for people to you know go through that uncomfortable outside that comfort zone like we spoke about and then to start feeling comfortable through adversity i mean there's a real there's a real ability to connect when you go through adversity with people especially in nature and that's just not something you can reproduce in a in a walled setting with a psychologist or psychiatrist and I'm, i'm not saying anything disrespectful in that regard they absolutely have their purpose and fill a role very well But what you see on the water is just undeniable when you see someone go from crying to singing.
1: (laughs) Is Keep Calm Paddle on that trip for you, or is there more to it?
0: I think in this world, as we start to get more disconnected personally, and I mean, that was happening before covid we're stuck to machines and looking at our phones, and, and I'm guilty of that for sure. And maybe physical distance is also something that we can't we can't fix readily, right? Without without travel, so seeing loved ones, you know, being physically there with people, and I think that takes effort. And sometimes we just say we're too busy. It's very easy to say that. And this trip for me selfishly was a way to get people together and to tell stories and to 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 just to just be connected. And I think that's so important. And it was something I was really lacking, you know you talk to people every day in in work and in in casual conversation, but you know, you kind of miss when grandparents aren't around anymore and they're telling stories and, and, and those family get togethers, get fewer and farther between Um, it. This has turned into a bit of a family. And you see people starting to connect outside of this trip and start to paddle and do their own um, you know stand up for their own causes and (laughs) that that in itself is something to see but it was always something i looked forward to in that i knew that i was going to spend time on the water so that was that was great for me but then i get you would meet new people or you would see your old friends Like there's people on the trip that have been there with the exception of the first year when I did it by myself, there's people that take that weekend off every single year to be on this trip. And sometimes I have to say that to to realize how much that means to me. (laughs) But it's definitely turned into, to a bit of a family and, uh, it's that that's what it is. I think more so for me is, is that it's now you can call it a support system, but it, but really it, you get to, you get to choose your family and spend time with them out on the water.
1: Where did your duty to serve others come from?
0: No idea. <laughs> I, I don't know, to be honest. I, I've always been a little protective of my brother, I think, and that protective in the way that he was my younger brother. I remember growing up, you know, we he he'd get himself in a bind with somebody, you know, they old meet you behind the behind the school at three thirty and. He'd tell me, and I'd be like, "No, not happening today." I mean, we're just little pipsqueaks, but uh, I always felt like that was that, that 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 was part of being a bigger brother. And um, I think when this this trip manifested, that that was really the impetus of it was was trying to be able to help him more. Consequently, being able to help more people. And, you know, you think you're on the right path with what you're doing in school or you think you're on the right path with or feels like the right path. Um, you've, you know, you've, you feel like you're on the right path with paddling, it makes me feel good. But when that, when that, i guess when that connection was made for me that truly felt like that that's what i was doing was was trying to help others and, and i think it's very easy to to help yourself if you're in that in doing that if you're aware of that and maybe all along i was just trying to trying to do that For myself.
1: Mm -hmm. Uh, Your devotion to your brother is incredible. It's extremely beautiful. What have you learned from him through this journey?
0: That life. might not be what we thought it was going to be. Whatever that is for people. You know, we always have a idea about how it might go. And I definitely know that it didn't go the way he wanted it to. And I think the, what he does really well is his ability to make the best of that situation. And to be kind while doing it.
1: Have you ever thought about what you and your dedication to him means to him?
0: I do. But sometimes it's hard when you're dealing with something that he's dealing with. And it's hard to see, you know, the forest from the trees. I know he appreciates it, but you still almost feel, I almost feel guilty some days for being able to do these things when and to talk about him when he when he can't like some days he's just not getting out of bed you know and uh, or doesn't have the can't get that part of his mind right that day to, to make it to have a good day and then the day is kind of a bit of a write-off but now that I think about that question a bit more I did. I did introduce him to paddling, as as he probably probably already guessed. But uh, he's got two paddle boards now that that he takes his buddies out on, and um, I think that's without him saying it. I think that's that's the appreciation to or the or the thank you maybe to. To be able to
1: to relate. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that guilt that you're carrying is serving either you or him? Oh, for sure. I I well,
0: I think when you carry guilt, it's it's not going to serve anyone in a good way. I also think it's natural to, to, to feel that when, when others can't, um, and it's, it's definitely easy to, to want to just say, I don't want to, carry that guilt anymore but um, I think that's what gratitude does for us is it'll it'll ground us a little bit and and kind of make us realize that you know we can we can feel guilty for for what's happened in life we can feel guilty for experiences that we've had we can feel guilty for not saying or doing the right thing at the right time But that's going to be the theme throughout life for us for anyone really I mean to think that it's all going to be easy is is, is a bit of a farce so I know it doesn't serve in a good way but I think that that gratitude of, of, of realizing we he's made it this far in life. I've made it this far in life. Many of us have made it far in life, despite what cards we've been given. And, and I think that's pretty remarkable. And, um, yeah, guilt is a heavy one, isn't
1: it? From where I sit, there's no finer demonstration of love for a brother or a sibling or another human being is, is what, you have and demonstrate for your brother. Thank you. And of course. Do you feel that you could be doing more? Yeah, I I
0: really do. I really do think that there's more to be done on this topic in general. Um, I don't I don't think it'll ever leave my you know, leave my reach, I think I'll always be doing something in some capacity um, on this topic. I think just even that self care, right, that, um, that ability to take care of yourself, I think, is something that I've really come to, to appreciate and understand more. We hear it, what does that mean? But I find the more that you Kind of put yourself out there to others. It's definitely easy to lose yourself, or maybe lose track of of how you should be taking care of yourself. And I've had I've had our friend Duff say that very thing in my living room. Like, but are you okay? You know, you're doing you you're doing this and you're doing that, and uh, the quick answer is always like, yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> But I think upon a little bit of reflection, it, it's foolish to say that it doing whatever advocacy, whatever, whatever it is you want to stand up for, that it's, it's kind of easy to forget um, that you need to take care of yourself in that, in that realm as well.
1: Mm-hmm. And in that theme of service to others, you also are working with first responders. Can you talk a bit about the work that you do there? Yeah, I think, I think that my,
0: you know, the, the, the years of paddling with KCPO and the folks there dealing with what we'll call civilians um, and, and their mental health and their mental illness journeys the question was always asked, like, why is it so hard to ask for help? And you can fill that blank. Anybody could fill that blank in with a lot of different things. You know, it's, it's the stigma. It's um, I don't feel strong enough or brave enough or courageous enough to do so. I don't have the support system. There's, there's a myriad of, of answers that we could put in that box. And that was a, a conversation that we'd always have on the water at that time. And then I got into f- to, to being a firefighter and then you see the impact that the job has that a lot of these first responder jobs have, police, military, veterans, retirees that we forget about, dispatchers, um, nurses, doctors, And they're taking their lives because of the job, because of what they see at the job. We get trained so well to do the majority of our job. The one thing that we don't see a lot of training in, maybe until after the fact or until a big situation happens, a big call or a, or a big incident that we have to deal with, then we get some more help there or access to it. And that's not to say that some agencies don't have really good plans and programs in place. It's not to say that at all. But the job is a tough one in what we see. And in one of my other jobs as a technical rescue instructor, I worked with an agency for many years got to know them very well. And they responded to a call at a house that happened to be one of their members who tried to take their life. And they revived that person. And they're alive today. And in talks with them afterwards, they were like, well, we didn't see it coming. We, we, you know, there was no signs. And Humans are very good. Like you said before, we're very resilient. We're good at adapting almost to a fault. And knowing that in our profession, people are taking their lives. There has to be an issue. We know that what we see is an issue, but there's also another issue. And that is we have programs, we have help but then we have responders and we have problems getting responders to that help. So how can we, how can those responders have an easier time opening up? So when we get hired on in a lot of these agencies, you get a challenge coin and uh, it often has your agency logo on it and it's a sense of making it so to speak you you know like you you get hired on it's like well done you you, you've made it it's just a it's you're part of this group now and the challenge coin doesn't really do much other than you know probably sit on your dresser table or with by your watches or, or something like that um And I was thinking of a way of how we can repurpose this. Well, I've been thinking for a long time of how we can make this ask easier. You know, is it, you know, is it a wristband that lets people know that you're fighting for this cause or shaving your head? There's lots of different things that we can do. But for this, for this industry of people that are, you know, A-type personalities that want to have, want to serve people, want to help people often at their worst, we don't open up a lot. It's not that there are some people that are very good at it um, in the fire world, police, military, etc. but there's a large number that are not. So what this challenge coin idea was is that maybe we could repurpose it for people, first responders to ask for help. So I designed a coin that had two sides and one side was the help side and one side was the debrief side. We've never had a tool, a tangible tactical tool to, to debrief. We would just be a part of an incident or a call and, and you know a senior member would say, you know, what went well, what didn't go well, how could we improve? And we kind of lay it out. Sometimes that happens and sometimes it doesn't, right? You get, you get into the speed of the day and you get another call and then you can't debrief that last one because you're cleaning the medical equipment or you're, um, you know, getting lunch ready. and, And then another call comes in and you didn't get to talk about that other one, but you try to get it done and Sometimes for people, they need to be able to hash these things out in order to make sense of them and to move on. And some people think you don't need to talk about them. It's what you signed up to do, and you should just be able to manage that on your own. Well, it turns out that if we don't talk about these things and ma- manage you know, what our brain is seeing, that our brain is going to do it for us, and it's going to manifest in different ways. And then we wonder why we're drinking more. or We wonder why we're late for work or we're, you know, we're not tucking our shirt in or shining our boots or, you know, these little behavioral traits that are changing that we might not be aware of. So what this challenge coin does is it provides us with a tool to start that debrief. You know, whether you place that on the bumper of the truck or on the table, you get the crew together. It's like, okay, this is just something we do now. It's part of work. Like we grab a ladder to get on top of a house. We put this, down to debrief everyone knows what we're doing and that's 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 the big thing If we can make that normal or more normal then when we flip that over to the help side and that help side goes up, I now have a tool to ask for help and what that means is I can be in a busy coffee shop with a buddy and maybe they're telling me about their weekend and how great it was and I'm sitting there going, yeah, I I haven't been able to get out of bed for the last week and I just barely got out of bed to go for this coffee. And he's telling me about a great weekend. And I'm going to try and I really need to talk about this. I'm going to try and bring it up. I don't want to wreck the vibe. I don't want to break down in this restaurant. So many reasons why you wouldn't talk about this, but if I can place this coin, help side up, he sees it. The idea of the program is he knows what I'm asking for. So he can start the conversation. What do you need from me? On a scale of one to 10, where are you? One being okay, 10 being suicidal. Do you need to see a doctor? What that does is is spark the conversation without me having to say as the sufferer or the person that's needing to talk, I can spark that conversation without saying a word by showing this tool. And while I don't think it's the the be all end all, this isn't the magic wand to make everyone start speaking up about this. I do think that it will help some people. I think some people are able and capable of finding help on their own. And then there are some that are not. And we, and I'm hoping that this will help bridge that gap. However, you know, we say, even if it works for one person that it, it, that, that, you know, it, it's a big deal. And I know it personally has worked for a few people. The stories that have come in are, are incredible, to be honest, that they've used it in that regard and it's helped them to find help and it's helped them to not die that day. It's also a sad, sad state of affairs when we have to come up with an idea to help people not, not die because of their job. So that is a deep look at, you know, what we're trying to do Mm. for first
1: responders. And this is via a nonprofit that you started. Is that right? that's correct. It's called Project All In.
0: And I have to credit my chief for that name because I presented it to him, this idea. And of course, everyone thinks their own ideas are very good. <laughs> so I, you know, took it to my chief thinking he's gonna be impartial. He's gonna tell me what's good, what's not good. And he's like, I, I think it's a great idea. We wanna be the first, you know, one of the first fire halls on board with this. And uh, I said, like, I felt, you know, great. These, okay, someone else thinks this idea is great. Maybe it has, it can get some traction. And uh, like, I don't have a name for it yet. And, uh, he, and he was kind of like, whatever it is, we're all in. We're all in this together. I was like, that, that's, that's it. This is, this is project all in. This is, you know, we are all in this together, whether you are good at asking for help or not. Um, we, we, we got to take this we got to take this fight and, and make sure that we're not by ourselves in it and I think that's part of it we feel, so, we feel like we're the only one that was affected by that particular thing and, and it's important to, to understand that you're not
1: and how are you spreading the word for this for uh, project all in
0: well uh, we have uh, Instagram at project all in and we have um, a website uh, with the same name and um, we're just revamping and retooling that right now um, in 2018, where we, when we started it, uh, growth was very fast, very fast um, at the moment we're in nine different countries with this program. Wow. Uh, and um, ten, uh, closing in on 10,000 coins minted and they're individually numbered so people can look at that and see you know, where, how many people have this. And um, so things happened and progressed very fast, almost to the point of, of, of not doing a good job of kind of uh, you know, maintaining how we should be moving forward. And, and um, a lot of what we did were presentations. So we did a lot of speaking engagements for uh, police and for fire. Um, at big conferences, as well as speaking engagements for individual agencies. And truthfully, I think those speaking engagements are almost as important as the tool itself, because while you don't have to be on board with what that thing does and what it can do for you, it may not work for you, and that's fine. But if you give me a chance, give anyone a chance to speak on the topic, um, it may resonate with you enough to do, a, to do a self-check and be like, yeah, that sounds like, that sounds like me. And I've, I've presented to rooms with some, some salty firemen and some hardened police officers and some military guys that I can see that they're probably the ones that don't open up very easily. And I'm six foot three, 250 pounds, and covered hands, fingers, arms in tattoos. And if I can stand up in front of that kind of group and be somewhat vulnerable, then, and speak to the topic sincerely, I think that, you know, that might be the opportunity to get to that person that may not feel that that coin is is going to work for them. But I had a I had a military guy come up to me after a presentation. And he's like, thank you for looking the way you do. And I was like, big pardon." I really had no choice in that. Like, I mean, I look <laughs> the way I look. It's, he's like, no, but what I mean is you're, you're a big fella and, and I'm not. And I'm in the military. And if I bring something up, the guys are going to laugh at me. Mm. But seeing you up there, you know, looking the way you do, and being vulnerable makes me feel like it's okay, like I if he can do it, I can do it. So I kind of put myself on the chopping block, so to speak, because I I don't it's really a small price to pay to to make to maybe make that connection with somebody.
1: Yeah. I work with men, lead men's retreats and basically what they have evolved into is is trauma work. We are all impacted by trauma at various stages in our lives and the work that you're doing, the advocacy is so important because as you say, it's become so stigmatized and to the point that the person who has experienced it tries to belittle it, tries to push it away and pretend that, no, it's not going to have impact, it's not significant enough to bring to light, to talk about. And it takes heroes like you who are standing up saying, this stuff has to come to light. If it's not, it's going to continue to fester in the dark, and it's going to lead to, to ugly things. And I am deeply touched by your humbleness and by your heart, the beauty of your heart and your intentions and your drive to serve others. It's so commendable. And we need more people like you. And I can certainly understand why Duff recommended that I connect with you. It's been such a powerful experience just talking to you over the last 80 minutes. And I can only imagine the impact that you're having on on other people's lives. Thank you for for doing that and for putting putting them first. And I do hope that it's not to a fault. and I do hope that you take the time to put yourself first, some um, too, because it's it's tiring work and it's it's hard. It's hard work. And we've got to take care of ourselves so we can be, be there to help others. I'm just in awe. I truly am Chad.
0: I, uh, I appreciate that. Um, it's, it's not an easy subject. Hey, like it's, uh, it's not one that gets brought up casually. It's, It's one that usually has some triggers for people. It's just not easy. And I think it's okay for people to know that. It's important for people to know that it's not easy. and I guess it's important to be a voice for someone when they don't feel like they have a voice. I am sometimes surprised that people will spend time listening to what I have to say. I look at the lineup that you've, you've, you've interviewed and, and uh, feel very fortunate to know some of those people and, and uh, the impact they've made in my life. But um, yeah, I uh, you're right. It's it's easy to get lost in the fold, isn't it? And um, I think if anything, this has taught me to, to look a little bit deeper inside. And 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 my one takeaway from this is is to is to make sure that <laughs> no matter no matter what it is I end up doing, that I can't do these things. I can't be battling. I can't be good at my job unless I take care of myself. And I appreciate that reminder. Sometimes it's it's best to hear it from someone else. Mm-hmm.
1: And I really, I love your emphasis on human connection and your understanding of how important that is in not just healing but really in in thriving in this world and you've mentioned all sorts of reasons why that connection is is being challenged in this day and age just yesterday i was having a call with one of my previous guests on the podcast and a good friend of mine who is a, a coach of men and he really opened up and said how much he valued our friendship for the reason that he just knew I was there whenever he needed just to connect and that it wasn't a superficial connection. He knew he could tell me anything and I would be there for him. And I think sometimes I take that for granted because I've surrounded myself by people who I do have that deep connection with. That's really what I I focus on fostering those types of relationships, but that's not really what's taught in society. We're taught to, well, now we're taught to keep our distance. Mm-hmm. And we grew up thinking that social media is the end all be all of our social status. And people are lacking advocates for their health and safety and, and mental wellness advocates like you And having these conversations can only help. It can only help empower those people to seek connection, to seek help, to not continue to be embarrassed by the demons. Because we all have demons. We all do. And there's nothing wrong with that. And in some cases, those demons, once we explore them and voice them, they can become our greatest strengths and we can carry that forward in helping others. 100%.
0: I, I often think that you sit around a table. If we all discussed some of those worst things in life for us individually, put them all out in the table, you'd be like, Oh man, maybe I'll just grab my problems back there. They don't seem so bad compared mm-hmm. to that one and that one and that one. And that's, we don't know those things if we don't share them. Right. And I, I, I really truly believe that now. I definitely didn't believe it before in the way that it didn't seem right to open up about this stuff. And, and sometimes you got to be critical about what you're, what you're doing and, and, and where your intentions lie. And I, I have to be honest, I was like, no, I'm, I learned it from my father to not to, to not be open about that and and whether he I shouldn't say he taught like he didn't teach me that, but I saw that through what he was doing. And and so I by way of that became very closed off and and it doesn't it definitely doesn't serve you well to to not speak up about what you need to speak up about and I'm slowly slowly getting better at that and I still catch myself doing it sometimes but when you have that authentic relationship with someone I'm not sure that there's anything that's that's better in the way of a conversation and being able to to without words know that that individual has your back and And that's, that's something I think a lot of people are not going to achieve sitting in front of a screen or a keyboard. Yeah. And you, you really have to make that effort. And I said it before that it's so easy to say you don't have time and you can't make time or I don't, you know, I, 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 I'll see you guys next weekend. I can't, I can't do it this weekend. We're all guilty of that. And it's okay. Sometimes we have to be conscious of our time management, but, I don't think you'll ever be disappointed in making the effort to be around the people that are like that in your life. Mm-hmm.
1: And I find that genuinely people are are kind hearted and if you open up to them, if you show that trust in them, to open up to them, you're going to get a good response in return. And I don't know if people are just too afraid to put it out there, but I encourage anyone listening who's dealing with any sort of shadows or demons or trauma, call on a friend and just open up. They'll be there for you. My experience shows that time and time again. I I took part in a seven-day men's leadership event a number of years ago. And on we were 12 strangers, 12 men coming in, not knowing one another. And our first assignment over dinner was to share the worst day of our life. And talk about a bonding occasion to have 12 men from diverse backgrounds, never spoken before. And we're up there pouring our hearts out and shedding tears together and supporting one another. And there's no stigma there. There's no judgment. It's just people wanting to help people. And it's a beautiful thing.
0: I think there's some of the best conversations I've had are with people that I've just met, but have had that willingness to to, to just be open. And, and I think you can always learn somebody, something from somebody. I mean, the moment you think that, that you're done learning is probably the time that you should hang things up and, and, and move on. But, um, someone always has something to offer and what you just mentioned is, is a, connection that is awfully hard to achieve without that authentic experience and without that willingness to, to be vulnerable. And I, vulnerability is not a bad thing. It can feel like it because it can be uncomfortable. But it's definitely not a bad thing. And I used to apologize a lot in my presentations for for choking up or for tearing up sometimes honestly it's to the point where i can't even make that next word and i know if i make that next word it's it's going to get worse and it's going to get worse and someone finally said stop stop apologizing don't don't be sorry for for being vulnerable or for tearing up it's my 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 look at that was well. I'm interrupting the flow of this mm. <laughs> of this chat, and, and 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 that was why my apology was directed that way. But there, you know, I I quickly understood I understood what they were saying. It's like just don't don't be apologetic for those things. It's it's okay to be like that. And and I think that's part of me is like, why are you crying? There's something wrong. Well, no, you you can be you can be vulnerable. You can, you can be choked up and, and there is nothing wrong. It can, be, it can be a very good thing. And I think once we start to I, checking in with what you're feeling based at a certain time, doing a certain thing is really important instead of just looking at that emotion as a superficial thing.
1: Well, that was incredible advice to be given, and I couldn't agree more. It's It actually not only doesn't distract from the conversation or the message, but it adds to it, and showing those emotions makes you the guy that people seek out and say thank you for doing that. Thank you for being vulnerable because you're demonstrating leadership that most people don't have the courage to do, and it's one of the hardest things to be able to open up our heart and pour out our emotions to others, especially for the sake of their own personal growth and as service to them. Like you're doing it selflessly, and you're impacting so many by doing it. Again, like I'm, I'm just in awe. Thank you for it all. Well, I. Re- I really appreciate the space that,
0: uh, that you've given me to, to do that today.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you, Chad. Where can people learn more about the work that you're doing?
0: Uh, you, people can find me at, uh, Chad at project And then you can check out the website at www.projectallin.ca.
1: And what about the KCPO?
0: Um, our website is www.kcpo.ca and uh, which stands for keep calm paddle on. And there we just have a one pager that just shows our events and how they can uh, be a part of it and, and, uh, be in touch. Yeah. Great.
1: And for the project all in, if people want to advocate for getting that in their organization, I presume that's the place they'd go to do that. You have the tools yeah, on your website.
0: Absolutely. Um, just working the the website is functional. Uh, the uh, shop portion of the website is under construction, but uh, if they want to get a hold of me, they can get a hold of me through there, and we can can do a presentation in their agency, and we can get them rolling.
1: Dude, I can't thank you enough. And again, a, a great thanks to Duff for connecting the two of us. Uh, I feel that just in the time we've spent together you've you've impacted my life I know you have so thank you for that and I hope to continue continue the conversation and and hopefully develop a friendship with you man
0: yeah I uh, thank you very much and uh, the sentiment is the same across the across the table here and uh, I look forward to one day where we can we can chat in person
1: sounds good I want to go for one of those ripper paddles with you too
0: yeah I, we got a course coming up next in June get a hold of norm
1: what is it? You want to give details? To uh, yeah. Us?
0: Well, yeah, you can. Uh, well, I'll, pu- I'll push it on Norm, but normhan.com, Normhan uh, dot com, uh, Norm Han Expeditions. People can check out the course there and uh, sign up for it if it's not full already. And it's going to be hosted in Canmore, uh, Alberta. And, you know, COVID restrictions pending. We should be
1: uh, able to do that this summer on in June. Sweet. I'll check that out. I'll put that in the notes for people to find as well. Yeah, great. Thanks again. It's been awesome. Thanks for all that you do. Keep it up.
0: Appreciate it. Thank you very
1: much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Salish Wolf with Chad Ginter. To learn more about Chad and his projects, visit kcpo.ca and projectallin.ca. To take part in his next paddling river camp on June 9th through 13th in Camor, Alberta, visit normhan.com. That's N-O-R-M-H-A-N-N.com. Please check out anchorpointexpeditions.com for information on my men's leadership retreats and personal development coaching. Stay tuned for the announcement of 2021 retreats during which I take men on purpose-driven adventures along British Columbia's Wild Coast. This show was produced by me, Todd Howard, on Vancouver Island. Music was written and performed by Jason Kaus of the Darcys. Special thanks to Pacific Rim College for their ongoing contribution to the show. For episodes on holistic health and sustainability, please tune in to my other podcast, Pacific Rim College Radio at pacificrimcollege.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give it a five-star rating on whatever podcast app you are using and share it with your friends and family. Stay tuned for my upcoming doccast, Takea Chronicles, featuring the inspirational story of the lone wolf that mesmerized the city of Victoria by taking up residence on a tiny archipelago off the city's coastline. There, Takea thrived, showing us even the most unlikely is possible. You have been listening to Salish Wolf. I am Todd Howard, signing off.